this is the Consequential Podcast. Roger's here. Hello. Lucy's here. Hi. I'm here. I'm Dave. Today, uh, we are revisiting our enormous piles of shame. Um, to just the comics. Yeah, just the comics. Yeah, not, none of the childhood stuff. No. Yeah, no. Not, I'm not talking about that thing that time. Well, why would you? I mean, the Hoover's still in warranty, so... <laughs> It's gone wrong. It's gone rogue. We're going to be talking about some comics that we really ought to have read if we uh, want to ever have opinions about comics, ever. And put them on the future radio. And then we're going to have read those, and then we'll tell you about reading them. Unlike last time, we're not taking two podcasts to do it. We're, no, we're going to try yeah, and... We've got our shit together time. this time. No, we didn't. We just didn't record anything for three weeks. That's also true. But that's, that's less than two podcasts. We're good to you. It's slightly more efficient than our previous shame. Yeah, this is is a highly efficient shame delivery mechanism, a sort of shame railgun just jamming I was thinking more of a fire hose of shame, just spaffing shame out over everything. Okay. Disrupting riots and frightening police horses. With shame Does it have a a health and safety application, or is it really more just of a sort of party nozzle? It's more just like a jizz cannon. (laughs) Well, and tonight, we are your party nozzle. Yes, we'll go back to the party nozzle later, but for now, Lucy, tell us what you've read. Well, apart from my shame, um, I've been catching up with the um, some of the French comics that you recommended a little while ago that have been translated recently. Ah, mais oui. Oh, I can sake. say more than that in French. I just decided to make a guttural noise instead. Oh, no, Sorry no, about your it. culture, I understood French it. people. Um, yes, I've been reading um, Isle of Brack and The Black Virgin, both by Fabian Vellman and Matthew Gooddude. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yes. Good dude. Um, yeah, both in the, the Marquis du series. Indeed. The, oh, uh, that business. Marquis of Lost Souls yes. in Breton. That yes. sounds really... That's the thing that I thought sounded awesome. It's so fucking great. And then it's, it turned out you both love Breton shit and we went on a whole yeah. thing. We do it's, as well. They have their own cola. Did I say this last time? It's called Brege Cola, which means Breton cola. I don't think you did. I don't, I don't uh, think... I don't it's quite think... nice. And they do really good buckwheat crepes. Ooh. In, and with, with like walnut salad and shit. There's a guy, if you ever go to um, Morlaix in Brittany, there's a place up in the back streets, dude with a jumper, very nice guy, delicious crepes, walnut salad, little old timey uh, ceramic bowls to drink cider out of. It's, it's nice. Ooh, they it's do lovely. love cider up in Brittany as well. They feel, do. Field trip to Brittany? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, it's only like six hours on the ferry from my mum's house, and that's only like six hours drive from here, so it's only going to take us half a day. We can be in Britain nice. at lunchtime tomorrow, it's we'll be well, it's way quicker shit-faced on Perry. Yeah, but the tunnel's like, it's probably quicker with the tunnel, isn't it? Yeah. But I'd rather go but on the boat, because you get a really nice dinner Brittany. on the boat. Really? Every time I took a Channel ferry, even no, the No, 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 you have not taken a Brittany ferries ferry. They have a no, massive seafood hors d'oeuvre buffet type thing, and it's great. Because I've done the, the horrible overnight, I think, is it P&O or something? No, I don't do P&O. I've done, I've done the horrible overnight That's from, a turd ferry. Um, thingy to San Marlo. Is it... Uh, Pool? Portsmouth? Portsmouth? Yeah, yeah I've, I've done the overnight Portsmouth to San Marlo, and that's, that's a shit bucket. San Marlo is a place that I remember as being very nice, but it's also the place where my parents wouldn't let me eat, and that was frustrating. That's we weird. We went there for the day, and all the restaurants looked way too busy, so they said, no, we're not stopping for lunch. But my sister was quite young at the time. They were like, we'll get her some food, rest of us, no. We'll eat something when we get back. And then we got back, my parents were like, let's just wait for dinner. And I'm like, no, seriously, I need some food. Um, That's fucked up. Yeah. 
Well, so, so restaurants in Samalo and the Joy. You've got those little medieval streets with the waiters running around. They're all basically mm-hmm. the same restaurant with adjoining kitchens and people titting about with buckets of seafood. And it's like a it's like a bullshit tourist postcard. It's, it's a lovely experience. It's wonderful. I think if you take one thing away from this section, it's that we like coastal Europe. It's true. Also, my parents kind of had a messed up attitude to food sometimes. Yeah. But not the buffet on the Brittany no, Ferries no. Ferry. No, no. Which, unfortunately, since I stopped eating the flesh of dead things, has become a lot more restricted. But it's still good. They still have a big mozzarella salad. And, oh, my God, the cheese table afterwards. All of these really sort of wrinkly, rinded, stinky French cheeses you've never even heard of to explode in your mouth. Also, the puddings are really fucking good. They do like a tiramisu with a crunchy layer. Interesting. It's great. We're talking a lot about the ferry. We're talking more about ferry companies and... And, and what they do are not, you know, 18th century Scooby-Doo, which mm-hmm. is basically what... With a lot more rapes and murders. Yeah, but every time he turns up somewhere, and it could be supernatural, but it's probably not supernatural. It's he's probably just the well ways of man, out. and he's going to fucking put yeah. his enlightenment reasoning towards it. Tell us about that, and less about fairies. Well, it's good. So the first one, um, Alf Breck, had the most and most enjoyable plot twists I've ever enjoyed in like a 40 page comic it was interesting it just kept going into places where I didn't expect it mm. to go and I loved that I like the I like the fact that it was you know he turns up as the the voice of reason and then there's there's a plot twist where there is a very very dark reflection of that mm. of a sort of burgeoning scientific method and it's but with us a sort of human yeah. cruelty yeah. going on I thought that was quite a nice way of playing it and mm. that's uh, very very much Fabian Vellman he's quite a dark and twisted man it's very easy to say you and me are both men of reason when actually one of you's like fucking torturing kids and the other one of you is just trying to like do the right thing yeah what's uh, who's publishing it Cinebooks alright so it's, is it and is it in that sort of is it in their classic? It's a forty-page slender a, large volume. It's it's what you would call an album. Mm. In uh, what's the visual style? It's quite um, flat and, and mm. fairly plain, isn't it? There's yeah, it's, it's. I mean, the coloring's not complicated. The line works good. Is it, is and it clear. that sort of cinebook style, slightly busier Tintin? I think that's yes. probably fair yes, to say. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. Tintin was what I was going to say as well in terms of colour palette. And it's not the full-on Lean Claire stuff, but no. it's not miles away. Mm. It's very nicely structured and easy to follow if your eyes don't work good. Yeah. Like mine don't. Um, I think there's, there's a series, I think six or seven of them. The first mm. two have been translated into English, but since sort of Fabian Vellman found success with Beautiful Darkness and um, mm-hmm. Miss Please Don't Touch Me, that was... No, no that's, that wasn't uh, that's different people. That's, um, uh, that's the same artist as yes. Beautiful Darkness. Artists, sorry. Um, yeah, they've, they've started translating these and they're lovely. Yeah, so between this and Long John Silver, which I've also ordered the next issue of... Um, that looks gorgeous. I didn't know that there were a bunch of French people doing old-timey adventures that I really enjoy, but I'm very, very glad I found them. This is this stuff is like crack to me, basically. This is exactly the kind of storytelling and style that I really, really like, and all I had to do is wait for it to be translated. <laughs> yeah, I set out to learn enough French to, to read some of these last year, and it's, it's just I'm very, very slow at reading them mm-hmm. in French. So... The fact that they're being translated is kind of nice. Mm. 
So I read that. I finished uh, Street Dogs by Leslani. Yeah. It was great. It's, I loved it's, it. It's just great. It's, it's just it's... wonderful. I've had some crack bone addicted dogs living in a box on the side of the street. It's... Watching a fox come towards them very slowly, or maybe it's a trick of perspective. No, yeah. it's, it's splendid. I think anybody who enjoys absurdity should give it a look. Yeah, You'll I like do it. want to look at that. Beautiful stream of consciousness absurdity. It's kind of, it's fidgety, isn't it? It's one of those like half-formed panels, not, yeah. not very rich, well, like not rich backgrounds. Quite, yeah, quite sketchy. And is, it, is, it, is, it, is it just black and white line work or is there much? No, there's a little bit of grayscale colouring mm-hmm. going on. But I'm guessing it's sort of simple, like not exactly framed panels. And yeah. I just remember from flick, flicking through it. looks it, like sort of hourly comics type yeah, of yeah. thing. I think it was. Yeah. Um, I think it was originally. Uh, Which is great. It's one of the best hourly comics ever, well, if that's, that's the case. Because cool, hourly right? comics is usually just 10 a.m. cut to the artist drawing themselves, drawing hourly comics. It's recursive, but I also don't know what else to say. Like, this was this was better than that. Mm. Um, Crackbone addicted dogs, though. Crackbone addicted dogs. There was some great stuff in hourly comics this year. Um, and I off the top of my head can't remember what any of it was but well, I remember hey, seeing some really good stuff put it in the show notes so Jesus you demand so much of me a rod for your back yes I could do with that actually I'm not spying in real good spine's crumbling yeah. we could help your spine yeah. better I bought a foam roller Ooh. I'm going to use it to spine that sounds good is it helping? I don't know it's like it hasn't turned up I, oh. I ordered it today oh. I'll tell you tomorrow is it like fancier than a pool noodle? Yeah, okay. a little bit. It's got some, some weird textures on it. It's like an upgraded we'll review that. We'll review that next poodle. time. Yeah, you should, we'll review your spine roller. Yeah. Canoodle. We've had, we've had fairy company fights this, this time mm-hmm. around. We'll, we'll do foam rollers. Fairy wars, I believe it should be known. That sort of sounds like fairies going towards each other and like playing chicken or crashing into like, each other. Fuck you, I'll show you the free surface effect. Doesn't sound very exciting. <laughs> it, I was going to say it sounds like robot wars if they put old people on the robots. Um, we did once when the ferry was pulling into port it hit one of the barriers and an old lady kind of went down like a sack of spuds and we did laugh a lot and that wasn't very nice it wasn't you can edit that you, <laughs> you don't have to though but why why did you see that why were you not all in your car revving the engine just desperate to get off this was before we ferry. were allowed to go down to the car deck the um, Britney ferries are very precious about the car deck because I think a large cause of problems on ferries is people dicking around in the car deck mm, too early right. so they don't let you go to your car until the ship is fully docked and in port because then you can't accidentally drive off into the bay or whatever they did in the 80s Probably. we didn't do that no no we Good just job. we just went to Larn we just had bitter bitter arguments where from Fishguard Stranraer okay just it's it's where my people go because there's two places with good rotic r sounds in mm. them yeah so we just get to get to really enunciate that mm. shit I remember a family holiday in the loire valley when my mum nearly killed my dad loire fuck off right okay we're talking about fairies again uh, fairies <laughs> um right you also read i also read Tom bedlam I did, yes, which I wondered if we wanted to sort of discuss as a group, seeing as we we'll all, all read it. we'll all jump in. We'll all in. Well, I don't really want to start. I can. Roger can start. Okay, so Roger this was start. this was sent to us very kindly by um, a lady who I think is a listener, um, long-time, long-time listener, wrote us a lovely email. I don't know if you had a look I at didn't it. see the lovely email. I only but, saw the lovely um, comic. That's my review. Hmm. Um, it's not the entirety um, of it. And in, in true, in true consequential podcast style, we I, don't know how to pronounce your name. I realised earlier that we should have emailed and asked how to pronounce your name 
but I think she's based in California. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done it in time. And so my, my, my best guess and a full consequential po- podcast name mangling apologies do apply. That was good. Do you see how we spread the shame across it's, two uh, people well, and instinctively knew episode. what, what it's, the it's, shame it's was? It's Shamcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is Tom of Bedlam. It's I think the first or a very early comic by um, Maya Kababe, um, something like that. Anyway, that is what and I would have guessed. That as is well. also Please what I would feel have free to correct. Do, us do, in the do, we're British, though. We're all coming from a different vantage point of name pronunciation, and we will get it wrong. That is part of our. We don't have quite as much character. of a melting pot, so we tend to pronounce all the syllables. Yeah. Um, in any case, she um, she sent this in, uh, probably not knowing that we blither and get the name wrong. Um, I think everyone knows that. If you have been a long-time listener, you will know that that is a thing that we do. That's going to happen. And it's based on a um, 17th century century anonymous ballad about a kind of bedlam madman, basically, roaming the countryside and telling the story of how he got there and what's going on with his life. Fairly classic sort of race progress type of arc. With to some, some extent. interesting sort of reinterpretation. There's a, there's a wonderful little um, sort of note in the email basically saying, yeah, this does contain a little bit of homoeroticism and some nudity. And I was like, well, we're well up for that. <laughs> um, we love those things. And um, it's... Every now and then people send us stuff, and sometimes it's absolute bollocks, but usually it's really great. And this, mm. this was just utterly charming. It, it's got this sort of willowy, rather lyrical artwork. Yes, which... it reminded me of... Um, the sort of, the kind of Emily Carroll style of storytelling, nice like big, mm. quite fluid panels. Um, quite often whole the, page or yeah. large panel. The characters and the panel flow are often very much in line. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously a similar kind of feel theme wise to that sort of thing. A bit of the mm-hmm. old timey ethereal. Not quite mm. sure how real. Yeah, and the the Tom character has this kind of flowing hair in places and occasionally a. Proofing nightshirt. Um, I Often mean, sometimes nude, it's just live and naked. The nudity was true, but um, there, there's a kind of there's a fluidity of the movement of the figures in it. But mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. basically, that there are a lot of a lot of slightly but not indulgently sinuous curves that tie the whole thing together. There's particularly the panel that struck me particularly is the one of his sort of massive arm and torso coming out of Bedlam, the mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. itself, where he's almost got a slightly Christ-like pose. Yeah, um, that was great. That kind of thing, just intertwining character and setting in sort of yeah, I didn't, unorthodox ways. I didn't spend too long thinking about this, but I wondered if some of it was kind of, was kind of cribbed from some of that devotional imagery. Mm. Um, the, his, his body is consistent with um, late medieval or sort of um, 16th, 17th century depictions of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, not the proper, like, grotty, wound-poor medieval Oh, I love ones. me a grotty, wounded medieval Christ. Oh, but... they are good, aren't they? Mm. Do you ever read any of those weird medieval lyrics that really fetishise the wounds? Like yes, nuns yes, talking yes. about wanting to like fuck yes, Christ's no, wounds or of those. get those their hands great. in there. But I those, forgot this, about medieval lyrics. Was it the, the, the I Would Be Clothed in His Flesh, the mm. classic nun devotional from, um, oh, it's 15 middle, maybe early. Yeah. But yeah, but there's lots of really weird like nuns mm. spanking one out to wounded Jesus. Yeah, sort of bordering into that kind of mysticism that the medieval... Yeah. Religious. I've got to say, I just don't think any other podcast gives you such a heady blend of fairy reviews and medieval literature. Um, That's probably true. Not even House to Astonish. They're really not big on the fairies. Yeah, Yeah, but now there's some like fancy old people who we've just enticed to podcastery. 
With fairy reviews. And medieval literature. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's yeah. probably just Philip Pullman. I, I fucking loved it when we got to do medieval lyrics because they're relatively mm. short compared to most other medieval literature. And there's a fuck ton going on in them. But you know, this, this, uh, so Tom Bedlam, it's, um, well, I mean, it is what I said it is, really. It's the, the story of this, this chap and how he came to be there and his life not being great and it uh, doesn't end the best. Um, I think it's for sale on her. It's, it's yeah, it's, um, it's on Gumroad, I believe. There's, Gumroad. So it's available as a free PDF download and uh, Gumroad for. Hmm. Uh, a paid download. We'll put links to both. In the I show can't. Notes. I can't remember. I. It was. It's been like a week and a half since I. Maybe a little longer since I read the email. So apologies. I can't remember if it's the first work. I. I think it might be an early one. But I don't think it's the first. I mean, no. It, I mean, it's pretty polished, right? Mm. Yeah. It's so. Very much. But, so. but I, I'd say it's well worth a look. Oh, for sure. I really loved um, actually the escalation in the visuals, and particularly the way that it sort of looped back round to the chorus each mm. time. Because mm. while it's it sort of often presented as a poem, it seems to have its roots in song and there is yeah. a verse chord structure. And the, the, the chorus, uh, the particular kind of chorus refrain about Tom doing no harm, um, picks up, this is, this is one of the things that you can, that you can do with comics. Uh, <laughs> it's like oh. a movie with unlimited budget. Do I have to knock your heads together? Donk. But you, he it, did it. It's a, you can juxtapose recurring text with very different images. Obviously, you can, and some people do it really badly, and some people do it well. But this works really nicely to build up different kind of assonances and, and growing intensity throughout yeah. it as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it really holds it all together. It's nice. Yeah, it's I good. Really, you should yeah, go and look at it. I really liked it. There were some particular bits of structure that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I particularly like the sort of section in the cells at Bedlam, mm. where there was sort of three stacked cells and that oh, was the yes. progress mm. throughout so the entire thing was drawn as and he's, he's colouring in the floor yeah kind of pulling in the gutters and the abstract and the, like the negative space yeah mm. but you explicitly have the, sort of the architectural space as the panel progression and mm. I just thought there were there were lots of little and bits again, like that that, that really were very well with that sort of medieval style of sort of um, kind of like manuscript framing yeah. of we've got a tower with a bunch of dudes in it kind of structure or like showing god and king and all peasants or whatever mm. Mm. I'm perhaps less familiar with uh, medieval texts than, than both of you, given that I studied something else on purpose. I'm also a big nerd. I was mostly terrified of not paying attention when we did medieval stuff. And you spent your time on insect shanging. I did, yes. Yes. Which Crucially was also not fruitful. shanging insects. Well, it was, yeah. I got a dissertation out of it. That's good. Anyway, I think, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed that. I was... Um, remarkably polished mm-hmm. I'd like to see what she does next mm-hmm. indeed yes I'd like to see something um, sort of kind of own narrative type thing as yeah. well yeah that's not a demand though no Why we not? can't really make those demands we're just no. some podcast people in England we have no real power or authority voices on the future right? no. ooh, ooh, do some comics please maybe Roger hi what have you been reading Oh god, I don't know. No, I've been reading the same old shit I always read. Um, Tell so, us about Injection and Limbo. Well done. <laughs> but they are my two fa- like I've, I've really pared down the the singles I'm buying because I, I tend to trade weight on a lot of things, and I'm not pick like I'm I'm basically not picking up Wickdiv anymore because I'm happy to read it in the singles. Um, Paper Girls is back to, sorry, in the trades. Paper Girls is is on the trades, and it, it pretty much is only. Um, 
Injection, Limbo, and um, Trees, I think. I'm, I'm still buying Sex Criminals as singles, because the lettuce pages oh, are just absolutely pages. worth it. I don't buy oh. any singles, and listeners, you don't need to feel bad if you don't either. You can you no, can you engage don't. with the comics industry however you choose. Don't let them force you into it. No. And also don't let them force you into buying stuff that, as a structure, often makes story design and narrative a bit worse. Yeah. The model is, the model is proper fucked. Um... So, and sometimes things are, he said, desperately fumbling for a segue, sometimes things are quite resilient to the fuckness of that model. Um, Generally, I think people who are good at writing around it. Yeah, which is absolutely what Injection is. Uh, I won't dwell on it because I talk about it pretty much every time we do a podcast. It's still good. It's definitely still good. This is the second issue of the new story with Hedlund and the suspect Ham. Um, Such a shady Ham. Ooh. And it's just it's and just, Ghost Spooge. Yeah, yes, the uh, what he he describes. Is it a sex criminals crossover? No, but he does some um, harvest what he describes to be the uh, first recorded example of vaginal ectoplasm. Ooh, ghosts in my vagina. Indeed. I should have said phantoms. That would have been better. Oh well. Mm, phantoms in the fanny. Yeah. Mills and Boone classic. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit more Chuck Dingle, isn't it? Well, no, it's not overwrought enough to be that. Too subtle for Chuck. Yeah. It, um, Injection 7, it's it's definitely still good. It's not as good as the opener for this round, but it's got some great stuff in it. It's played a little bit more for last than some of the Maria stuff. It's still good. It looks great. Um, some really wonderful use of like narrow full-page panels. That's just something that Shelby is just all over with the, inje- the Injection. Warren Ellis' newsletter, the most recent instalment, had a large chunk of the script for Injection Number 1 as well, if you're interested in kind of process and how stuff fits together. Um, his newsletter's at Morning Computer and... Uh, sorry, no. Um, his newsletter's Orbit, Orbital Operations, his daily microblogs at Morning Computer. And yeah, you can just pick up some wonderful little snippets. There's some good stuff in there. There's just so much Uncle Warren for you to enjoy if you want to engage, hashtag engage with hashtag brands. It's mostly just him shouting. Mm. Occasional it's, recipes. It's shout mm. heavy. The, the recipes are an unusual delight. Yeah, he's been doing that for ages. How does he cook? What's um, his style? Sort of a bit like I do, I guess, but more casually. So he likes to do things with oats, but he's got this thing about wrapping figs with bacon and cheese, and it's he, he does. That sounds pretty good. He does like simple bacon. big flavors. I do mm. that. I mean, if you roast figs with some rock for you. Yeah. Oh, man. I should do that. Yeah, I should do oh, that. I'm going to drizzle some honey over oh, the Oh, God, top. yes. I've got, oh, I've got honey and truffle honey. I think I have an erection. Just do that. Yeah. I want to braise some lentils. Do that. Yeah, I do, but I haven't got any lentils. And, like, I don't really cook. It's very easily solved. Braise them with some stock, throw some spinach in at the last minute, put mm-hmm. in a good dollop of English mustard and eat it with some crusty bread. It's That's really nice. nice. Do you want a portion of mixed veg dance like? Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah. That'd be great. I've got loads. Mm. Just knocked off some fairly quick recipes there. Maybe we should start putting recipes now in our newsletter. Yeah, we probably should. It we could do well Christmas for... nachos. Yeah. That Warren. went down well. Did. I could yeah. do Easter nachos if you want. Oh, yeah. Is it just crisp with, like, mini eggs? No, it's Basically. Rare, it's rare bit. Anyway, tell us about Limbo. <laughs> Sorry. Um... Limbo by Dan Waters and Casper Wingard is um, my like new favorite, my my favorite new entry onto the comic scene. One of my favorite things at the moment. I will not shut the fuck up about it, mostly just because of 
the wonderful, ludicrous, intense colours and the fact that it's set in a mad neon voodoo swamp ruled mm. by an evil Lucador kingpin with a goat-eating shaman that lives in televisions. And honestly, if that's not enough for you people, I don't know why you're coming here. I only come here because you tell me to. <laughs> so Ladies of Shivalimbo, I won't say too much about it because it's got some big hefty plot stuff, but, well, as you described it, Mr. Connery, really doubling down on the inevitable betrayal bit of, uh, bit of the noir trope it's playing with. Mm. Sorry, yes, I, I should, for absolute clarity, it is a 1980s neon voodoo swamp with a Lucador crime boss, and it is also a classic noir. An amnesiac noir detective. Oh, um, that is a classic. It is a classic. Um, and there are 80s action figures and all sorts of things, and the colouring is fucking stunning, and I say this every time, but it must take fucking forever. Um, this one, this one is... Um, Allegiances shift. Power structures change. Yeah. There's booze. And, uh, and lizard on a stick like you ain't never seen it before. It's all been building to that, really, hasn't it? On a stick. I think is it more... bits or do they skewer the whole thing? The whole, whole thing. Okay, like up the anus or through the middle through the section? Middle. Just okay. straight down the middle. Straight down the, up yeah. the middle hole. Yeah. The middle hole, mm. as they say in German. They do say that. It's, um, no, Limbo, Limbo is great. You should be reading it. Um, this year is, I mean, I know we're only into February, but like, it's not going to have to. It's definitely making my long list for the best of this year. This year has got to explode with good comics for it to get knocked off that list. I mean, the long list doesn't really have a size cap, so, you know, that's... Well, yeah, that's true. Like, you that's know, true. I'm, I'm really That's more on us than yeah. defined periods I'm of time. I'm super enthusiastic about it. This is just... It's just lovely. It's daft. It's well-written. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. And the... Again, sorry, just... Panels. Um, really, really good at moving around sort of panel sizes and layout and page progression. That sort of expand, contract thing, and good use of um, full-page, like thin horizontals. Mm -hmm. There's some great use of sort of not quite negative space, but flat shading done as negative mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. one. Um, and in the first, just look particularly cool. Yeah. Uh, what else have I been reading? You read Damocles. Oh God, I John did, Fillet. and it was like just salty bum water. I'm glad you said that on the podcast as well as in the notes. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I was really touched by it as a phrase. I was like, oh yeah, I can imagine that. You have cholera now. <laughs> you do. You've turned blue. It's it's also French. It's from those nice people that do those comics you like. Oh yeah. The publishers. It's Cinebook. Okay, yes. But it's one of their sci-fi ones. As Mr. Conry pointed out to me earlier today, I think I like. I've convinced myself that I love. I have Stockholm Syndrome 4, Cinebook Sci-Fi. But it turns out I like exactly one franchise and I've been bitterly disappointed by everything else yeah, I've read. Yeah, you seem to think all the other ones are bollocks. Yeah, and this is bollocks. Yeah, no, I had so, to sit and walk him through this earlier. Yeah. Like I destroyed him. So this is by, is it Joe Calide and um, Alain Henriet? You read it, dude. It's got their names on it. Um, We're not good at this. We've already established yeah, that. Yeah, we, we have problems. So this is... It looks, it's a, it's a bit more, it's, it's, I described the other, the thing earlier as like busy Tintin. Mm -hmm. And this is a bit more like, this is a bit more Lean Claire than a lot of the other Cinebook um, sci-fi stuff I've read. So say Chimpanzee Complex is quite painty and elaborate, except mm. when it breaks into this style, which is really fucking jarring. Um, Sam looks like screen grabs from a manga, but it's beautifully done. Mm -hmm. um, Orbital, the one I genuinely like, and you know, Sam is fine, it just doesn't really live up to its potential. Orbital um, is a, sort of in that Morling Claire stuff well 
it's clean and simple, but it's got a lot more going on. It's a little bit more painty and elaborate. This, mm -hmm. this is, it's, the colours are almost flats. So there is shading, but it's, it's like colour punched up, lazily drawn Tintin. Like the figures aren't particularly just, it's not that there's an artistic talent there, there's just an artistic interest, or at mm. least for me. Um, if you think about your, uh, well, my at least, disappointment reading Preacher for the mm. first time, where you can, this is this is clearly an artist who can draw, but they, uh, is it that they're not trying? Are they just not interested? Maybe they think this slightly indistinct, visually flat style. I don't know. I just, I just Maybe it's what they like. I couldn't get excited about it visually at all. Um, narratologically, it's quite pat. It's uh, near future, corporate capture, semi-dystopia, private hot, private health, private policing, one one set of laws for the wealthy. You get the mm -hmm, idea. Mm -hmm. It's a fucking RPG setting. Um, private security. Burn, can't you? Private security outfit. I mean, with these, some shady do it goings on there. These are all increasing concerns for all of us. Well, this is the thing, right? The trouble it's, is that our world right? is descending into these dystopias. They're just getting sadder and more drab on the way there as we realise it more yeah. acutely. And I think you'll find it's a utopia because some 23-year-olds in San Francisco said so. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah How much were they valued at? There's some disruption. Disrupto fixed the merit of capitalists. Oh, I'm so tired of this stuff. I think this is one of the reasons I couldn't get enthusiastic about this stuff, because th th this comic, because apart from the weird super soldier drugs that are being hinted at in the margins, to be honest, kind of looks like three or four years down the line. It doesn't look like... It, 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 it's just a, a slightly flat writing of the world we're shambling into. Mm. Maybe that's on me, not the authors. Um, well, it's... It's just a bit dull. But the, the premise is like there's something shady going on and some elite future bodyguards have to kind of sort it out. And their characters are interesting. Like they're an interesting dysfunctional interestingly dysfunctional team. They they do there is stuff to say there. The the lead, she's um sort of wants to portray herself as a bit no nonsense, but is actually a little bit more sentimental than that. There's kind of the knucklehead who's clearly having an untreated psychiatric breakdown that disproportionately leans on her and then tries to put a brave face on it there's the mm. it's not great um, there's the new kid who it looks like they might do a lazy racism plot but probably won't with and hopefully it's, it's, yeah, it's okay though because you'll never know because you're clearly never going to read no, more than one of these no I think they're up to two or three now and it just I should have known when some of the promotional blurb compared it to Mark Miller that's never ideal no Never ideal. Do you know what you will enjoy, though? Wine! Well, yes, almost certainly, and in perpetuity, but um, Frederick Peters has a sci-fi western coming out at some point this year. Attach it to my genitals. So I read... What did you read? I read... What did you read? Cry Havoc uh, by Simon, now Cy... Uh, sorry, Simon Spurrier, not Cy anymore. Oh, is he, is he um, changed up? He appears. He, he's definitely credited as Simon Spurrier on this one. Is he rebranded? Ryan, Ryan Kelly, I think so. Yeah, I think. I, like him on I think he's in his in his thirties now, and you know. Time for a grown-up yeah. name. I'm wondering if I should go back to David. No. 
No, I, I think you could carry it, I can't, but I don't I think, think you could enjoy could. it. I don't think I don't think I would. I can't deal with you as a David. No, no one's ever known me as that really in my adult life. It'd be the same as like going clean shaven. No one would know what the fuck was going on. Would it just be like your mum was talking to you the whole time? The whole time. Yeah. I've seen you clean shaven. I didn't like that either. No, I've seen you with a moustache, and I didn't like that. So oh, let's well, all no, just like a Belgian paedophile. Let's all just stay in a paedophile-free stasis. We're too old anyway. They don't want us anymore. Cry Havoc is a is a film that I read. Um, it's uh, about a military unit made up of folkloric monsters from various points uh, around the world. Did you enjoy it? Not as much as you would expect okay. from that yeah. description. Yeah. Is this the thing that I tried to read and bailed on page two? Possibly, yes. Um... I sort of want all of Simon Spurrier's stuff to be done by Jeff Stokely, um, who did Six Gun Gorilla, but that's obviously not going to happen, especially as he's doing Inspire right now mm. with Simon Spurrier. But I just thought... Do you not think, like, So Spurrier, Emma Rios, let's make it happen? Yeah, that's a good call. It's a good call. She's on Pretty Deadly, though, pretty much full-time. Yeah. When she's not on that, she's working on Island. Yeah. So, but yeah, that should happen. It's, I, I thought the art was a little Avatar circa 2008. Um, there are a couple of really good standout moments, but a lot of it is quite prosaic. That I didn't enjoy very much. doesn't help you get into your folkloric military unit, does no, it? No, I think this, this is a problem with me rather than the art. I mean, the art works. It's just, I think, something that accurately represents human beings on the page is not necessarily very exciting to me. I like things mm-hmm. that are a little bit more... Magical realism. And just things that are angular, more odd, just not an accurate representation of a human being, essentially. Or magical werewolves, in this case. Mm. But there is some good stuff about it as well. The the colouring is done by three different people, and there's completely different palettes for different points in time, so there are complete shifts. Oh, I like that. So there's Mm. the sort of... It's helpful. There's... there's, uh, essentially two sort of earlier points in the story mm. and then the full-on at-war, shit's gone down, everything's gone wrong. Ruddy, orangey-red palette. Yeah, because it opens with a flash-forward, doesn't it? Or possibly that's the present day, I couldn't really tell. So the um, very... the, the most Yeah, the most recent point, if, we, if you consider that to be the present, the most recent point is the sort of... is with this unit of... Monsters, essentially being deployed, and people who have, people who have something else in them. So werewolves, uh, big Norwegian, uh, pig guy, just <laughs> different they, creatures. Is that, is that a received thing? I believe it's a real thing. Yeah. Mm. It's uh, what's what's the other thing? Do they have a Wendigo? Do they have a Wendigo? I don't think there was a Wendigo. There were certainly no Canadians or people very, very, very North in America. The trouble with the Wendigo, though, is that they are uh, explicitly cannibals, and that's troubling if you're trying to form a military unit. That's true. Also, you need a Wendigo house to put them in. Hey, 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 you don't get to judge me for the puns tonight. Fair. I'm going to stick with it, but I sort of, I just, ah, wanted more, wanted more from it. And I can't fully Are you just articulate because there's no gorilla. There's probably going to be a gorilla at some point. It's not that. It's just I think it's really just that I'm not 
wowed by the art. Um, I like the story structure. I like what they're doing. The covers and the design of the thing are leagues ahead of the actual interior art, and that always kind of bugs me when that's the case. Mm. Yeah, I think that's how I nearly bought the first issue of Beast Wagon. Yeah, that's what's been interesting. Don't let, don't let that happen to yourself. Friends don't let friends beast wagon. Yeah. Yeah. Beast wagon sounds like it should be something else. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely some sort of rural sex act. Mm. I was gonna say I had a friend at school who called his car that, but you, know. you probably did. No, I didn't actually. And that's what I read. I read Tom Bedlam as well, we discussed that. Mm. The only other thing I read was my shame read. Ooh. Did you did you not get your Marvel on or? I read a ton of Marvel. You don't want to hear about it. I didn't. I can't even remember it at this point. I've <laughs> wow. read like three weeks. That's worth a of... solid indictment. It is, isn't it? Well, so the stuff I'm reading at the moment. So I read all of Marvel. Is on... any of it non-shit? Weirdly, Secret Wars, the main crossover event, is not shit. A lot of the auxiliary this is the books thing are... where everyone goes to a magical interplanetary house share to have a, a little bit of a smackdown. Yes. Every, every iteration of the Marvel Universe Sales. crashes together, mm. um, held together by the will of Doctor Doom. Um, so there are different iterations of every single character. Is there lots of... And this, bear in mind, this is all I want from this. Is there lots of Doom talking in the third person about his personal mightiness? There's quite a lot of that, yeah. He is Lord God Doom now. Mm. Yeah, so he's, he definitely gets out a bit of that. But he's actually, I think, slightly more aware of his own hubris than normal because he's fucked some things up trying to rebuild the entire universe uh, just by his sheer force of will. To be fair, he's done a pretty good job of that. How did he get into a position of doing that? Or is that yet to it's be It's complicated. It's, if it's you say com- Franklin Richards, I'll cut your fucking nose off. He needs that for smelling. That's not how he gets into it. Ugh. It's okay, you can walk away, you don't have to engage with this content. I don't! <laughs> well, actually you do, because that's how they get out of the entire thing. So now the entire Marvel Universe has been rebuilt by Franklin Richards. So That was better sorry. when Jenny Quantum did it. That's why I didn't want to talk about Marvel, I didn't want to make you sad. That's not why you didn't want to talk about Marvel. No, it's because I... That's like a I, No, it's because I've read like 25 Marvel books in the last couple of weeks and I don't remember any of them. Mm. Comics! Well, hey... We're, we're quite down today. It's almost like we, we hate ourselves and our lives. It's almost like it's comics, winter under the comics we read. It really it, you is. Sort of, you do make it sound like we're gathered around a sort of burning barrel when we're not. <laughs> the people would believe that, though. I, Why I, lie? I have some of those skanky fingerless gloves, but we are so not gathered around a I thought Dace barrel. had some of those, and it turned out his regular gloves had just all got holes in the ends of the fingers. That's actually more of an indictment yeah, of yeah, capitalism, that's, or, that's, to be honest, that's... his presence of mind. They were very cheap gloves, and he doesn't really care, so... Okay. There we go. That was that story. Fingerless gloves existed before smartphones. Like, this is, this is yeah. an obje- objective fact. What the fuck was wrong with people? Pretty much, the, they are objectively so much worse than real gloves. But if you need to do fine, detailed work with your hands in a cold environment, if you're mm, a scribe yeah. or, like, tinkering at something, but it's fucking cold because it's the olden days, True, and you've got no central heating... No glo- they are better than no gloves. Yes. They're nowhere near as stupid as those fucking mittens Hipster that you mittens. can unbutton, and then suddenly you've got half a hand again, like magic. Those are bullshit. 
Have you seen my terrible bullshit gloves? No. They're worse than that. Have you got conductive thread in the ends? No, I bought some conductive thread to stitch into my gloves, but then those gloves broke. So I replaced them with fingerless gloves, but the fingerless gloves have a, an extra slip-over thing that you can put gloves on your gloves because you're a dog. A glove sheath. Yeah. For sheathing you're, your hands. You're double-bagging your hands. Yes. They've, he's got jam jars. Oh God, oh God, that just, that was, that was a thing from my childhood that wasn't a thing for anyone else. Sorry, my, what? My grandmother, she was buying jam in glass jars. She would insist they double bagged it and she'd only put the jam jar in the bag, the two bags, because the jam was so fragile. I was referring to the incredibly safe, perhaps overzealous method of contraception. I see. It's not Rather, safe, it's much less no, effective. No, no, no. It's, it's <laughs> I was referring, never do that. Never, never, never double bag your winkle. It's true. I was referring to specific childhood trauma. <laughs> Namely, the people at Asda thinking we were all insane, which was accurate. I feel a lot just happened. I don't know. Like, I think the the bar for what we're referring to as trauma is fairly low. If if you're just really put out by your grandmother's jam habits, but the shame, the shame of the you know, employees. She just asked for, she just asked for two bags. Like, everyone thought she was weird. They're judgmental pricks. That's true. She, she said, could, no, it's fine. She could probably have asked for it in a slightly less awkward way. Do you mind double-bagging that, Sunny? It's fragile. I think I it was more her sort of intense anxiety about I the jam, which I've never known. It's quite... Jam comes in quite sturdy glass jars. Jam yeah. And even if it smashes, it holds together reasonably well because of the jam. Yeah. But you'd worry about the glass shards. You might. If you're the sort of person who worries about eating glass well, shards. Hang on, that sort of that sort of makes it sound like you're gonna sift through the jam and try and eat it out of Dace's grandma two used bags. to stir the mould into Which, the jam. If there was mould on the jam, she just stirred it in for extra mould. Why not why not of, cut it off? Well no, that's a very good solution that she chose not to pursue. That's uh, that's what I would go for. Or just new jam. Yeah. Yeah, like, or just don't have jam at that time if your jam's gone mouldy. Yeah, I don't really understand jam. That's okay, have a marmalade. As a, like, as a substance, like, you don't understand, like, in the same way that you don't understand supercooled plasma. Pectin and gelling. I I, I can broadly get behind gelling. Um, No, so lemon curd, absolutely. Chutney? Yep. Okay. Marmalade, absolutely, but it's got to have big bits. You're just naming shit in jars. Pick a lily. Oh, of course he loves piccalilli. It's High fucking love. Spread. No. Okay, so you're not my granddad. <laughs> Sorry, this has been the Grandparents and Jam podcast. God, I love piccalilli. Oh, fuck. But it's got to be the rich kind. It's got to be bursting with turmeric and it's really more than chunky. One kind. Apparently so. Fuck. Well, yeah, you can get a kind of thin, boring kind that's just... Just a few sad-looking florets of cotton. We're talking about... Where it looks like someone who was radioactive inside <laughs> ate a lot of cauliflower and got punched in the stomach. That's the food yeah, stuff we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, an so irradiated cat got real sick. It's a livid orangey yellow, slightly spiced, like there's some fennel and maybe some cumin in there, like a slightly spiced cauliflower pickle. Sometimes you get little bits of carrot, but you don't I have to. I brought this upon but myself. I'm, I'm <laughs> the getting the impression that he has had sex with this. I don't know about you, but I really do think he has. Check the foreskin for cauliflower. You check the foreskin for cauliflower. Ain't no foreskin to check, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. I got done. How many jars of piccalilli did you have to get to pay for the operation? (laughs) 
You just send in three rappers and they take off your rapper. I'm sorry about my assumptions about your foreskin. Well, you know, the thing is, after a while, especially if it done, if you have it done young, it builds up a kind of semi-keratinized sort of toughened layer, and so you probably could fuck some pickle if you wanted to. Mm. Semi-keratinized. According to Wikipedia, a or carapace? maybe something I read someplace. I think like, a, is, like a carapace mm. for your bell end. Well, it, it toughens up slightly. Well, this, is, this I've heard, which makes sense. Yeah. Being, it's a soft I don't think it's actually being carotinized, but it, it, kind of, it, it toughens up slightly. I read a thing that mentioned keratin, but I might have been talking about something Are else. you sure this isn't an urban myth, like sort of yeah, soaking yeah. conkers in vinegar? Could be. Have you tried soaking your conkers in vinegar? Uh, no. I've... Have you tried popping them in the oven? No. I haven't tried that oil of oil thing either. Please, can we go somewhere else? I have a question for you both. Yeah. Can anyone remember what we were talking about? <laughs> I believe it was my penis. <laughs> no, before. Where that. it began and where it ended. I'm sure there was a before times, a happier place. I'm imagining your penis eating itself at this point. Oh, particularly, um, Grandma. Uh... Jam. Jam. Jam shame. Double bagging. Double, Double bagging. bagging. But I don't know how we got to double backing. Jam, shame, jam, shame, jam, shame. <laughs> Batman! <laughs> so we're, we're back to our semi-annual shame fest. I use semi-annual as an incredibly accurate measurement of time. As opposed to annual semi, which is what Roger gets about piccolily. Yeah. Aye. I think it was a full lob on. Yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? Oh, I was being generous. <laughs> oh, it's like someone's great uncle being cheeky about dicks down the pub. Don't say lob on. I'm gonna, though. It's the shame cast. It's gonna make you feel ashamed. Yeah, everyone has to feel dirty. I, I do feel a bit dirty when you say lob on. I'm not gonna do it again, it's fine. Um, Jeez. So we all basically picked a book that we realistically should have read by this point. Um, we're going to tell you why we hadn't read it, what stopped us, and what we thought about it when we did. And the first person to do this is Lucy. To maintain because Roger's continuity still with quietly the previous giggling section. at the word lob on. <laughs> it's not that quiet, is it? It's not that quiet, no. It's audible. <laughs> Golly. So um, my shame is that I've never even, I've ne I have no cultural familiarity with Judge Dredd. I've been exposed to zero dread apart from the little balsa wood figure that Dace carved and painted of Judge Dredd very early in our relationship. Which he I whittled was, a dread. He whittled a dread. It's the dread from the cover of the first really collected cool. volume of Dread. I mm. can take a picture and we can include it. Dude, that's, like. that's absolutely lovely. Yeah, it's a good dread. Um, but but Dredd was following me. I mean, I was reading the thousand and one comics you must read before you die to try He's and find out what my shame was, and on the bleeding the cover there it was. Yeah, I didn't even have to read the book. Um, it's 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 a thousand pages of why haven't you read this thing that was published fifty years before you were born and mm. only in Bulgarian. Well, yes. My favorite one of those is it described a book that sounded absolutely amazing to me. Um, and it sort of gets the last paragraph and says, unfortunately, it was never published outside Mexico, and it hasn't been in print since its original run. Well, hey! Oh, I'll fucking get right on that, won't I? Yeah, fuck you guys. Um, so anyway, Dread, Dread seemed like a natural place to start, not least because we had it in my house. I didn't even have to acquire it. Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, the main reasons I had never 
read it before, were that I thought it was going to be a load of scratchy ancient wank. <laughs> Is there any chance you've confused Judge Dredd with the ancient art of hieroglyphics? <laughs> it's possible. But then I took a glance at the Rosetta Stone and that, you know, corrected me. And it okay. went back to Dread. Well, the 2000 AD Case Files, Volume 1, in this case. <laughs> I mean, my, my fear, I guess, was that I wouldn't get on with the art style because it is very much sort of... I expect it to be more of a school that I don't get on with. Mm. That quite sort of busy action. Mm. I mean, there is a lot of that in Early Dread, but it changes every couple of pages. Well, yeah, which was, which was helpful. Scheduling. Um, and I don't really... I don't know there are certain like superheroes is one there are certain kind of styles and genres that just have, have sort of no emotional hook for me whatsoever I don't know why I'm meant to find them interesting and this was one of those things that I had that sort of prejudice against which is what's put me off a lot of old Marvel DC stuff and it's what had put me off dread for a long time as well but I overcame my prejudices and found within a couple of pages that it's fucking hilarious <laughs> This is the thing, like like pretty much anything that is of cultural worth from the late seventies in Britain, it's grim satire. Mm. I I hadn't read any dread for ages what I picked up some a couple of years ago and I was also expecting it to be dour fidgety bollocks. Mm. Um yeah. It, it's not. It's, it's it's just it's fucking arch and it, it's acid. It's, it's ludicrous. Yeah, it's very, very silly. Um I mean so so I enjoyed I enjoyed just all the sort of obvious British shit in what's meant to be an American amazing future city. Like, we're going to strand you here on this traffic island. There's lots of lorries going past. Yeah. This incredibly ancient car has been stolen. It's a Morris Thousand. It's like, you fucking had one in the car park that you could draw, most likely. You probably owned it. My mum owned one in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah. There's tons of that. Uh, yeah, I really like those little touches. Um, I... I enjoy that there's... We were talking about this earlier. There's just basically no character progression for Dread whatsoever. He is a puritanical no. law enthusiast, and that's kind of what he's got going for him. He's changed very, very slightly over nearly forty years now. Mm. Um, Has he aged in real time? I can't remember. Yes. Fuck. So there's a couple of points where he's been gently rejuvenated by. Um, sci-fi processes but transplants and genetic surgery yeah there's a, there's a sort of rejuvenation thing which they can do a couple of times but basically he started out as young Clint Eastwood he's now Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood mm. with maybe about 10 years shaved off but he is in his 70s um, in the comics with a slight proviso that he's had some work done everyone is extremely incompetent apart from him yeah. That's that's nice. This is true. It's I think enjoyable. There's a, so, there's a whole load of random violence that happens mm-hmm. to happens to people who have been introduced in that storyline mm-hmm. and then they disappear and die horribly. Um, and some some of the early stories in particular are just kind of bizarre. The one with the mutants who come and steal people and then he sort of sorts them out and steals them back. It's just like, well, that was interesting. Why did you go with that one? Yeah. But generally he's not interested in rescuing anyone or anything mm. like that. He just sort of wants to dispense justice for yeah. what's happened. From his amazing bike with cannons on it. Yeah. It's a good bike. The Lawmaster. Mm. He's a weird dude. Yeah, he's a weird fucking dude living in a weird fucking place. And... Um, 
I enjoyed his um, ethnically insensitive housekeeper as well. His, his Italian housekeeper. Yeah, she just Italian wants to pour minestrone into him and find him a girlfriend, and he just wants to read the law in his spare time. <laughs> he will not be dissuaded. <laughs> Every time he goes home, crimes happen in his apartment building. That's the only time yeah. he goes home. Well, crimes happen constantly in it. Um, and I think one of the best things in the film, the, not the first one, the recent one, was uh, he sort of sat there and on his bike and there's the map of crime and say, we can respond to 0.8% of the crimes, which one do we go for? <laughs> they're, they're completely inadequate, they can't cope. Mm. It's kind of and a, he's their one, like, golden bullet. Yeah. It's basically like a sort of libertarian paradise. Everything's mm. on fire, everyone's doing what they want, but occasionally you might get shot, so it all works out. Exactly. This is the system we've designed yeah. and the system we deserve. Would you would you read more? Yeah, I would. I would I would definitely plow on with it. Probably not all the way through, mm. but no, I would no. definitely I would, um, I'd dip into it some more. I would <laughs> jump to case files five, that's when it starts to really cohere. Okay. And that's a really good starting point for people if they like Lucy. Want to want to start reading Judge Dredd, but I'd also read as a one-off story, um, Judge Dredd America. Mm. Which, so I was going to say Trifecta. Trifecta is very good, but America is uh, so America is about twenty years before Trifecta, and Dredd is explicitly the bad guy. Mm. Like people don't get this; they think that Dredd is actually the hero of these <laughs> stories. They don't seem to understand that it's a satirical thing, which is probably people should He's be... an actual fucking fascist yes. for most of the comics. These people should not be allowed to watch Paul Verhoeven movies. They should not at all. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, Robocop was based on Dread anyway. Yeah, that world is... No. They have poor reading comprehension. America is, is about the uh, terrorist uh, democracy group. Um, and it's a sort of series of three fairly short stories viewed through the eyes of this sort of um, guy called Benny Beanie who is psychologically damaged in various ways but starts out as an idealist and sort of you see a progression of his life mm-hmm. um, and encounters with the judges throughout various points and it's a, it's one of the few semi-serious takes on no, what would this shit actually be like mm-hmm. um, and then Trifecta, the, the one Roger just mentioned is a really good... Um, it's hopping mad nonsense and it's great. Yeah, and it's set it's set across much broader section of the the sort of the two thousand eighty stuff that takes place in the dread universe. Mm-hmm. It's sort of three stories. The dreadverse? I don't think they've ever called it that. We should do that. Okay. We don't have to. Um I might. That's fine, don't bother. But the the sort of three separate stories that start to weave together. So there's one um one which is just following dread. Mm-hmm. One which He's is having a terrible day. Oh. Yeah, one one which is following a uh, sort of a, a, not quite a private eye, but an undercover mm. judge in the Simp Squad, which is an undercover uh, unit in one of Mega City One's many many religions. And these are people mm. who dress as clowns and um, believe that everyone should just laugh. And the other one follows another undercover judge, Dirty Frank. Dirty Frank. And Dirty What's Frank. The deal and Frank. Dirty Frank is uh, fighting uh, killer business interests on the moon. Uh, the guy. The, the, Dirty the, Frank the, is a ninja hobo. Yes. Dirty Frank is a ninja hobo. Dirty Frank must fight against a businessman who has been genetically spliced with a shark. Mm. 
Dirty Frank talks about himself as Dirty Frank. Dirty Frank talks about Dirty Frank in the third person. It sounds amazing. It's, it's pretty, pretty good. And it's it, because it's collected in a volume, you know the stories come together, but they were published. Yeah, they didn't as announce episodic it. Mm-hmm. in the same in the same magazines, mm-hmm. but um, without announcing it. So you you can sort of pick it up from the way they weave them together in the book, and that they chunk them out to long blocks and then start splicing it together. So you get some of the feeling, but that kind of vibe of holy fuck, this is bloody hell. It's so ridiculous. It's fucking great. It couldn't be couldn't be more different from America as well. Mm. It's it's a huge conspiracy adventure romp that's just sort of making the most of the weirdness of that universe. Yes, I mean, I guess what I didn't get a lot of a sense of starting at the beginning, the world is much less fleshed out. They're not doing that much that's intricate in the way of plot. It's still establishing character and setting and stuff. So this stuff sounds now that I know I like it. This sounds great. Mm. There's a great um, Garth Ennis comic from the early 90s as well, which is just massive copyright infringement on the Beano, but basically <laughs> Walter the Softy from the Beano has become a necromancer <laughs> in the Judge Dredd universe and has raised an army of the dead to attack Mega City One, and his pet is a zombie Dennis the Menace on a leash. This sounds great. There's a, lot, there's a lot of really weird but, shit in what's it I can't remember, but if you just look up Garth Ennis' mm-hmm. run, it wasn't very long. This this all comes out of that like early British comics moment of people just fucking around. Mm. Like the the sort of the training stables for a lot of modern comics was 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people having fun. Um, With the Morris Minor outside. Relatedly, it's well worth watching the um, 2000 document, 2080 documentary Thil- Thrill Power Overload. Um, it's just a great little film, and the people involved in the early days are still so very angry. It's brilliant. Heart. Hello. Reveal unto us your shame. What, well, here? Tell us about the comic. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pop the trousers back on. Um, Lob on. <laughs> Semi at most. No. Um, so, I have been reading, for my shame, Joe Sacco's Palestine. Why did you not want to read it? Everyone else read when I was 11. Right. Um, I didn't want to read it because... Uh, so, when I, when I first started properly encounter, like, really encountering comics, I was put off a lot of the non-fictional stuff. Because I thought it would be tedious, hand-wringing, worthiness, and utterly devoid of joy. And then I flipped through some things, Palestine was one of them, and just thought, this, this, this looks like a fucking Hogarth engraving. I just, I just can't be fucked. Um, it's kind of, which is kind of fascinating, because I came at it from exactly the opposite perspective, that these sort of personal tales and narratives looked quite interesting, and fuck all the fiction stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, I... Now actually reading it, particularly the Gaza stuff, I'm looking at this and thinking, fucking hell, it looks like bloody Hogarth. Look at what he's channeling, channeling here with the social commentary and the imagery. But with a bit more time to kind of get my head into comics, um, my view has changed entirely and I do read totally different things and I, I no longer like weirdly write off. Anyway, the point is, I've still been putting off reading Palestine. I write off the exact opposite things now. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um... But I've still been avoiding Palestine because in my head it's I've, I've had this mental image of it as a relentlessly depressing because it's about the horrific occupation of fucking Palestine, um, b joylessly worthy, which it turns out it isn't, and um, c just kind of 
visually dour, which it also isn't. These, these are prejudices formed by flicking through it for two minutes ten years ago. Um, what it is, is nearly 300 pages long and take, taking a good deal longer than that to read because it's grindingly horrible and I, I did think it would be hard work when I first sort of didn't read it. Now, having read it, I, I think that with the exception of it being, like, with the exception of my prejudice that it, that it would have been dull, which it absolutely isn't, um, I think I was right. It is, it is very, very hard work and it is relentlessly depressing. But it knocked me for six a bit. Who'd have thought the multi-award winning comic with the six-page introduction by Edward Said, Said is actually quite good. <laughs> you know, uh, Edward Said loves comics. Who knew? Yeah, he appears loved to. Comics. Loves comics. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. I missed Still his last hurts. lecture. I couldn't get in. I didn't, I didn't go. I didn't even know it was happening. Mm. I was probably at work. I was probably a child. I think it was... Ow. Either my last year at uni or just after I graduated? Yeah, I was a child. Yeah, I was at work. Yeah. You hear any unexpected noises on the podcast? It's grit from the gritting van. And from our just pure gritty nature. That's true. No other podcast would dare to say lob on quite so often. That's it true. It is, in fact, true grit. Uh, that was. I enjoyed the remake. So did I. So did I. It was far better than the original film. Yeah. yeah. The book's still better than both, mind. Interesting. I haven't read it. I should. It's it's um, a, a sort of epistolary novel. There's a lot of internal voice. It's it's not written. It's not pure epistolary form, but it's written as someone who is not self-aware writing mm. a book, or at least writing down their tale. Yeah. And the internal voice, while carried reasonably well into the character in the film is nowhere near as good as the juxtaposition juxtaposition of what's going on with the way that she's describing yeah. things in the book itself. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, it's good stuff. Damn. Sorry, carry on about Palestine. No, I... I almost don't want to talk about it, because I, I just... Partly it, it's so well-known, um, and the situation is so well-known, and I, I just don't really feel like I have much to add other than to say that it's brilliant. But... Let's gild that fucking lily for a bit. Um, a few things about it interested me. As a as a sort of good little secular Western lefty, I'm sort of morally outraged by the shit going down in Palestine. Fair enough, you know. I, there were no particularly unusual surprises. I didn't have some sort of Damascene experience about the fact that you know Israel could behave a bit better. Um, but what it does a really good job of, and bear in mind it might have been more of a revelation at the time of publication in the early 90s at the fag end of the First Intifada, right? even just calling it Palestine was arguably radical. But one thing it does a, a very good job of is sell you on the kind of quotidian indignities, I guess, of living under occupation, and of the dehumanising effect from both sides. Um, the, the, the final the final few pages is this coda of this um, Palestinian boy standing, being made to stand in the rain by Israeli soldiers checking his papers and just being gratuitously unpleasant while they stand under an awning. And it's this tiny act of pointless, bootless malice while Sacco speculates 
what the hell is going through this kid's head? What is he going to think? How the hell is he going to view the world? It, it, it's a bit glib, but that's sort of, it, it's the garnish at the end. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that when it's every day yeah, yeah. for your entire life up to all? Yeah. And so he, he picks up these personal stories and his own, his own perception. Um, and it, it just makes real in a way that you don't get from news footage. The little things, the constant drip of unpleasantness and indignity that is sort of this world. Um, There's a lot of that in Muno as well about the Kashmiri conflict. Mm. A lot of the, it's much more the sort of, here's how it is to live this rather than here are the big headlines. And one of the things it does that I didn't realise it did, it, it, it's, it's really arch. He's very self-ironising. So he puts himself out there as this utter dick, to be honest. He's, he's it's quite stream of consciousness in places and he's sort of, um, oh, I want to... I, there's, there's the chapter called The Bucket, which is I sort of, I have my list almost like my bucket list. My bucket I want to fill. I need to see, like, someone that's been beaten by these troops and a house that's been bulls- bulldozed down. And mm-hmm. He talks about it as this kind of catalogue of tourist experiences mm-hmm. that he glibly wants to collect from oppressed Palestine. Um, and then throughout the chapter, this merges into this image of the bucket being just over full. There being just too much of this stuff. Arguably a glib trope, but this is going on throughout it. That noise you can hear is uh, not some sort of futuristic sci-fi hover car. It's not that great. It's fucking grit lorry, but... We need that grit. It's going to be fucking cold. They're battering down our uh, auditory defences, so we will continue. So, yeah, Sacco's voice in it is just constantly self-ironizing, self-mocking. There's this thing where he's he's trying to get a, get a picture of some violence and a guy gets in front of him and... It's sort of all, God damn it, you know, it's like it's his fucking intifada, doesn't he? You know, I've been here for every weekend for a month trying to get these pictures. And his, his sort of, his, the perversity of the journalistic attempt to capture this and the kind of almost consumerization of it, the kind of, I've got a tick list, I'm going to get this, and the desensitization. He doesn't shy away, he kind of makes a, not a virtue of it, he doesn't think that's good or anything, but he, mm. he absolutely floats it out there. So there's, there's these two things that are going on, which are his experience of the conflict as this semi-participant observer, almost like a grumpy tourist, like, I'm not getting the head wound pictures I want, God damn it, didn't the guidebook say, you know, it's mm-hmm, got that mm-hmm. kind of pissy TripAdvisor review feel <laughs> um, about fucking Gaza. Um, at the same time as this this totally different flavour of the individual lived experiences he, he talks about. Uh, and it starts in this very crummy, like those in crumb cartoonist, not crummy, um, open pages, jangly, slightly sketchy thing, and then he sort of finds his feet or changes the image a bit. Broadly speaking, his lived experiences are in weirdly arranged panels mm-hmm. with um, lots of light negative space and often quite cartoony depictions of himself. And then everyone else's experiences are more regular, almost watchman panels. Mm-hmm. So there's this series called Moderate Pressure, which is part of the Gaza sequence in the middle, which is the absolute soul of the book about someone who's been through um, like moderate pressure interrogation techniques at the hands of the Israeli army, uh, which is to say he's been fucking tortured. And it opens up in the sort of the guy being taken from his home and it opens up in this kind of, uh, the, the, the grid kind of moves. So it starts off as these one and two panels to a page and then moves to two by three, then three by three, getting more stark, three by four, four by four, four by five, getting kind of itchy and fidgety with these tiny compressed panels and big thick gutters focusing on these these moments that this guy is held in a stress position in a police cell. 
and beaten and goodness knows what, and then expands back out to this street scene as he's finally let out, you know, blinking. And it's um, the reportage stuff, the per- things where he's telling personal stories, do some really interesting framing stuff. The hatching does a lot of work. It's it's um, it's a very intricate book for what it looks like when you open. It, you open it on page one, and you think this is kind of like a subcrum travelogue. It looks a bit like. Um, uh, like a more aggressively thicker-lined, cartoonized version of um, Carnet de Voyage. Mm-hmm. Here I am in, in Palestine, having a crummy time, ha-ha, I'm about to shit myself, isn't everything a bit grim? And then it just goes off this cliff into him getting into it and horrifying lived experiences. Um, and there's just sort of, yeah... He, he has this running refrain of his own sort of personal narcissism. You know, oh, my blockbuster comic depends on mm-hmm. such and such. Or I wish I'd seen that. There's a, he, he travels around with a, with a photojournalist who's having a really fucking hard time with the stuff he's seeing. Mm-hmm. And Sacco not having a cigarette. I wish I'd seen that dead baby is one of the things he throws out there. It's kind of, and he just, <laughs> he's, he's stringing himself out for you to see. Mm. And it, it's, it's weirdly effective. Um... I don't know, like, it took me nearly two weeks to read this fucker and it's only 300 pages. Mm. It's heavy going. It sounds dense as fuck. It, it, it was phenomenally radical at the time. It feels like telling a story lots of people know in a very solid and upsetting way now. It. I would love to see him revisit it. He hasn't well, he really did done... a little shortly after with Safe Area Grassif, but Yes, but he hasn't really done any reportage in no, sort of fifteen years or so. And I mean, he's he's done some very interesting artwork, like his book on the Somme that came out last year was uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing in so much as the most disgusting battlefield and human conflict could be considered to be a beautiful thing. Um but just Revisiting Gaza now when it's been whittled away at its post a huge amount of conflict just over last summer, it would be interesting to see a direct comparison over yeah. what 25 years or so. Close enough, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a strange book. The the thing some of the things it does with sort of the pressure of space and the weird elongated distorted perspectives, particularly of human figures walking, and the sort of movement and arrangement of the panels, some of it's just weirdly kinetic. Um, and then the central Gaza section, which I say often feels like Hogarth plates. I just, I, I just don't really know what to make of it. It powerful and horrible and sincere. I wonder what you'd make of it if you had very different politics to me. So I read Akira. How was Akira? I really thought you'd already read it. No, it's one of those things... So I was very familiar with the film because I'm exactly the right age for the anime boom that was basically Akira and Ghost in the Shell um, for people who didn't want to get into everything else or didn't have cable TV uh, to hit me. So I've seen the film dozens and dozens of times and have been gradually upgrading from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray. But I'd never read the book, except a glance at. And, well, it's um, a billion volumes. It is. It's an incredibly long book. It's over. It's over two thousand pages long. So I did just read the first volume, which is roughly a third of the film. And it is 
kind of fascinating to see how it, it, it's turned into that film. And it's kind of fascinating to read because I don't read a lot of manga. Um, mainly because it sort of comes from a culture that I don't really understand, don't want to treat reductively. Um, and it also has its own visual language that I don't get. Um, a lot of the shorthand, the sweat drops, the veins, the whole shit, the things suddenly turning chibi, I don't understand any of that. You can infer a lot of it from context. Mm. Yes, not all, but... Not all. You can infer it from context and I don't really understand You know, I've been reading, reading comics for nearly 30 years. It makes me feel broadly illiterate. Um, in the same way that people get when they say I don't know which way the panels are going to go that's how a lot of manga makes me feel so there is a there is a purely selfish uh, bolstering of my own self-regard to be taken into account when, when reading anything manga you're going to enjoy the manga podcast I'm really going to enjoy the manga podcast well this is me getting on getting on that track getting now. on the train getting there yeah even got some more things picked out but so Akira is one of the the sort of first big crossovers into not just British culture mainly because I think America got hit with things like Astro Boy and Speed Racer mm. in the sixties and seventies, but whereas we really didn't, Akira was sort of one of the first big things where anime and manga crossed over into into Britain, and it's one of those things that I'd sort of associated with people who did that slightly creepy I wish I had a Japanese girlfriend thing <laughs> to be fair we did have to interact with a lot of those people yeah we did we did um, and I'd, I'd been holding off because yes it's absolutely massive and yes it's sort of regarded as a pinnacle of certain things but it's really good it's really good <sighs> no one hated their shame this week I know I'm sorry so did anyone hate the shame last time yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't get Sorry. through Jimmy Corrigan. Oh yeah. I was admiring of, but indifferent to Black Hole. Mouse was Mouse. Mouse is pretty good. Yeah. Um. What did you enjoy about Akira? So first of all, the design of everything—it just is very much its own thing. A lot of stuff was borrowed from it, but in terms of the design of the city they're in. It's a bit like Gotham in that it's always what it needs to be at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this sort of towering but crumbling post-World War Three um, Tokyo with this enormous crater in the middle of it where uh, a nuclear bomb was dropped. Or was it? No, it wasn't. It was something else. Um, but World War Three happened anyway. Um and it's sort of all of these sort of crumbling bridges into this middle point and social decay and a sort of a rebuilding but but fragmented post-war Japan, essentially mm-hmm. standing in for post-World War II Japan. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Plenty to borrow from there. And it's been, it itself has been visually borrowed from so liberally by so many things and so many people. Yeah. But it's just, it's it's sort of the design of this huge concrete metropolis and something you don't necessarily get from the film so much because it condenses so much is children written as children. Um, they're 
bored out of their fucking minds and just wanting to do stuff. Mm. And they're acting out as gangs and they're, you know, chasing women and it gets them into trouble. And in the the, the, the film Vakira casts the main characters, particularly Kaneda, uh, in a more heroic light by the fact that it's compressed because he doesn't have... He doesn't spend quite so long being a self-interested little turd. <laughs> um, and just seeing that fleshed out more was was really interesting. Um, it's not... So in terms of story structure, it is not... You know, it's not brilliant. It's a story that I already know quite well from the film. Mm-hmm. And Which you've is, watched hundreds of times. Yeah, it's a much bigger, much uh, woollier version of that with more space to breathe. And it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's, it's not transcendentally different. It's just really interesting to see it fleshed out. And I can't really come to it from the point of view of someone reading it purely, and purely fresh because I do know where it's all going. Mm-hmm. But it does make me want to push on and read more and more of the, uh, the actual comic version, particularly because it's just, it's just really beautifully drawn. Um, Katsuhiro Otomo is a really fantastic artist and the art is probably much more of a draw than uh, than, than the writing is. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly dynamic um, without being what you think of as um, sort of overly stylized. It's, it's, it's very much its own thing without sort of leaping into what I think of as cliched manga style, which is probably more of the Shonen Jump mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. sort of One Piece Naruto, yeah, um, quite cartoony. There's, there's there's not tons of that. Did it make you want to watch the film again? Yeah, but sitting down for too long made me want to watch the film again. Mm. Um, I want to, I, I want to get to the sort of the end of the, of where the story in the film gets. Which I think is the end of the third volume of the books, um, just to see how they how they differ. But I'd like to read more of it again before watching the film once more. I um, I didn't get on with the film, and I've been wanting to read the book for ages, just um, sort of to feel that decompression, and also because it's visually gorgeous. Yeah, it is absolutely beautiful. And one thing that is genuinely genuinely amazing, probably the best thing that that Otome does, is so. It's early 80s manga, there's speed lines everywhere. But the way that that blends into shading, which is done mm-hmm. in the exact same style, um, the way that that all works together is absolutely masterful. So essentially you've got this incredibly elaborate cross-hatching that's conveying a whole bunch of different things at once. It's just really remarkably well done, incredibly intricate. It's beautiful, and I liked it. We all liked our shade. Yeah. Delicious shame. And that's it, really, from us. Yeah. That's yeah. all the shame we got for that's today. That's all the shame we've got. Yeah. That might well, be all our shame for the year. We're, we're going to go and eat pizza now, so I imagine we'll have some shame again fairly soon. Oh. No, there's no shame in pizza. I'm, there's no, no such thing as food shame. Food doesn't have emotions. I checked. I'm not, I'm not saying morally. I'm just going to feel sick. Yeah. But you shouldn't feel ashamed of that. Or if you do, you should reconsider your life choices in the future. I could eat less pizza. You could eat less pizza. You don't want to, though, and, and no one will judge you. Even I won't judge you, and I judge you for basically everything. 
Yeah, well, you know, you get aroused by pickles. <sighs> and on that note, good night. Good night. Good night.